I had a great conversation with Paul Easton about something that we don't really talk about that often in this basketball training space, which is our mental health and what exactly matters. So this one is a good, uh, it's an older podcast episode, but I think it's the best podcast episode to listen to going into the new year, especially if you are looking for a reframe. So hopefully you enjoy the wisdom that Coach Paul Easton shares in this podcast. I spent the last three years learning from some of the best business minds inside the game of basketball. And now I've left my nine to five to create freedom and have fun while doing it. So the question is, how are hoopers and basketball fanatics like us using those same skills that gave us success on the court to give us success in our new sport of business? This podcast will give you the answer. Join me as I learn, apply, share knowledge, and change lives through the game that changed mine. My name is Myson Jones, and welcome to the Basketball to Business Podcast. I'm okay with it. Question for you. Okay, so obviously pandemic has hit. What has changed for you since the pandemic? Um, for me, um, actually a lot of good things. I was, um, not to give you the sad, the sad story, but, you know, I just, uh, I was a little burned out before the pandemic. Um, I was, you know, full-time job, divorced father or two, uh, running the own business. Uh, time was really something I, I did not, I wasn't treating myself very well. And what I mean is I was just training all the time, not enough time for you know, myself, a social life, a love life. Um, everything was kind of like after basketball. And, it, you know, I just, I was pouring so much into it and I wasn't very good at saying no either. I was taking on, you know, clients all the time and good problems to have, but you know, you got to think I've been doing this for like six, seven years. So as you know, it, it can be draining and I uh, didn't have anybody help me with the scheduling. Um, so when COVID started selfishly, selfishly, I actually enjoyed the break. I enjoyed the complete break because there wasn't anything for me to say no to because there was no training. So we always, we, we have the, the power to say no whenever we want. Like I said, if you want a Saturday to yourself, you can say no to people. But if you really like care about growing the business and making money and serving your people, you you can say no, but it's harder to say no, isn't it? Because you know that possibility is there for a training session. So and you're married, so you know all about that, you know. And so for, for me, the ability to not have to worry about saying no to people was big. So it, it almost set a boundary for me. And so what I did was I took time off. And I mean, obviously, I, I feel bad for everything that happened in the pandemic, people losing their jobs, people losing their lives and, you know, and so forth. Um, but I really enjoyed the break. I enjoyed the break from basketball. I was very, I was very fortunate that my full-time job uh, still kept me employed. So it was good. I spent more time with my kids. Uh, I spent more time on my own. Um, it was good for me. It's kind of like a reset. And then, you know, I said to myself, I got to do something. So people have been saying, Hey, you should try doing zooms. So I was trying to do zooms and I, I don't know what it was, but I just felt really bad for kids. I felt really bad that you've got all these kids and we live in a first first world country where, you know, people go to AAU practice and trainers and camps. And all of a sudden, all these kids that are like type A, type B kids, all this on the schedule go from that to nothing. That's a big change mentally for kids and for parents. So for me, I just want to give some sort of structure. So I started doing online workouts and I did, I was doing five a week 
for the first month and a half, five a week. Uh, it's a lot. Uh, 30 minute, 45 minute sessions. And I did them for free. Then I went down to three sessions a week. And I think we worked it out. We served over like, it was over like 20,000 people. And we had people from all over the world doing it. We did it on Instagram Live, Facebook Live, the Zoom, so you could do it with me. Um, I think that was it. Yeah, and, I, and then also I recorded every one and put it on YouTube as well. And we did almost 40 workouts. And uh, I tell you, it was great because for me, I wasn't worrying about the money side of basketball. I was just teaching basketball. And I was just doing dribble moves and stationary moves and defensive slides. And I remember my, my, my parents would watch it back in Scotland. They would stay up late with a time zone difference to watch it. And it was great sharing it with my parents because my parents don't get to see what I do in person, you know, because they live in Scotland, I live over here. Um, so it was just great to share the game. And I think people could really tell that I was passionate about it. And I felt passionate about it again. And I really enjoyed that. But then I also realized I'm not really doing what I set out to do and say no and give myself time and peace. I was loading myself up with a schedule again. So after you know, things were starting to relax a little bit and the gyms were opening a little bit last year, um, especially here in Virginia, I just, um, I just shut it down. I shut it down completely. And I only started doing, you know, once I got the vaccination and then with masks on, I was only doing like one or two workouts a week. And for me, that's a big, big change in what I was doing. Um, but I needed that. I personally needed that. I needed to slow down. I needed to learn how to how to set boundaries for myself and be okay with it. So you started setting boundaries. Then you got back into the Zoom, started loving it so much so that you ran so fast that you got back to that point where you needed to set boundaries again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you decided, and you honestly, you motivated me to, to do more of the Zoom workouts. Like, never charged for it, didn't want to charge for it. First off, the software was just too, for me, it was challenging to do the software. It was a lot of work. Like you got to yeah. get prepared for it. I had the monitor to get set up, had to upload it to YouTube, had to get it right on Zoom, Instagram Live, make sure the angle was right. People can hear. It's a lot of work, coach. It is, it is. It's and then work. On, on the Zooms, we were getting like 500 plus. So I was actually paying for the, the big premium package. I was paying $90 a month for Zoom. Um, and it wasn't charging a thing. So I was actually losing money doing it. Um, but for me, it was just, get, it honestly was giving back. I've been really fortunate to, to make, you know, to make a part of my living through basketball, for teaching basketball. So I, really for me, it was giving back and I really enjoyed it. And I, I, so many parents emailed me saying, you know, thanks so much. My kid looks forward to it, you know, every Tuesday, every Thursday, whatever. Um, it's like go to practice. And even after like, hey, we missed your workouts and thanks so much for what you did. And I've even had people come up to me in the street in Virginia and DC where I am and say, hey, you're the guy that did the, the Zoom workouts. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, thanks so much. My little brother enjoyed that or whatever. And we feel like we know you. And I'm telling you, it was, it, it, it meant a lot to me. It meant a lot. So it was good. It, so I, I had to ask, I don't want to be vain with it, but was there any kind of bump in terms of the social media presence, in terms of, uh, the monetary gain afterwards for those people. No, who in saw social you in the media, I actually, lo I actually lost followers. With you. Yeah, I actually lost followers on Instagram. So yeah. many people did. That's <laughs> so odd, man. I remember one guy saying, "I don't want." He said something like on Instagram. Some guy messaged me. He messaged me and he said that I can't wait to things get back to normal because I'm sick of seeing all the zooms that you're doing. And I'm like, 
I'm giving kids a free service, man. Like, <laughs> but what I did do was Hater. people started asking if they could donate. And I appreciated that, but I didn't want to because there was people that I knew that were losing their jobs. Like I was people that I worked with lost their jobs. People around me lost their jobs. I just, I, I'm not trying to play myself off as the best moral person in the world because I'm not, but I didn't, I just didn't feel right about taking people's money. I just didn't. Um, but what I did do was people were asking for like merchandise or my son calls it merch. Um, so what I did was I made up some t-shirts. We did this thing called a four minute burnout. It's like constant dribble moves. And I'm yelling like, you know, defensive slide, high dribble, low dribble. I remember I did one of your yeah. workouts, coach. I was like, God, <laughs> leave, man. These kids got, got me, got me, lost me some weight too. So I, um, we made shirts <laughs> up and, and people bought them. And I made, so I, I did make a little bit of profit out of that, which was good. But honestly, I enjoyed mailing them and it was good. And, and people said, hey, can we get a hoodie? Can we get some shorts? Can we do this? And it was good. So it made a little money through that. That's, so we've got that monetary wise, but the, the following stuff, I mean, I increased my email list, which was good, you know, people, because obviously I sent them the Zoom links. That was a pain at the butt. You know, you're sending out to like almost a thousand people. And people were like, I didn't get it. It's in my spam. It's not coming. And I was paying MailChimp 30 bucks a month as well. So you got 90 bucks for the Zoom, 30 for the MailChimp. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm the smartest man in the world right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I I, I look. I'm sure, I don't know if you still listen to like the, the Gary Vaynerchuk's and the guys who talk about brand, but in that world, it seems like that stuff is ideal. And there is not just a monetary gain. It's not just about the money. There's so much more of a, a value that's eternal than just profiting of some dollars from merchandise or merch or training sessions. But I, I, am, I am curious about how both, though, because obviously it felt good for you morally and internally, but how did it help with the business side as well, which is, I'm always, again, always curious about. Because guys do spend a lot of time to go online. They don't have nearly the size or the commitment of a following that you do but they still strive really hard and I think burn out sometimes. And, and they finally realize later down the road that man, it may not be worth it as much as I thought it was initially, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, we you saw a, a, a mass rising of trainers right before the pandemic, you know, everyone, you could, I think everyone was kind of losing clients in a way because you, you remember when I first did the voiceovers, you know, um, like I was one, I think I was one of the pioneers to do voiceovers and, you know, people would and break things down because I wasn't a great demonstrator. But now everyone does that. You know, every, everyone catches up. So I think it's about constantly evolving. But I think there's so many trainers, they're not all going to last. Some of these people are in it just to make a quick buck. And if that serves them and their family well, so be it. But, I mean, I think you're, you're going to start seeing less and less uh, who are in it for the long run, the long term. And I think because we're having so many, I think a lot of parents are starting to see, or I hope they're starting to see like who is actually teaching their child something, who cares about their child, who wants to give back and who's just in it to make a buck and to be on social media. So I know some, I know some trainers are just social media based and don't really have a clientele. Which is odd, man. It's like you're doing it for the clout, for the online, online credibility. And it's like, man, what's, What's the, what's the point here? Like, you know, yeah. of course, you're just doing it just for the likes and follows. Just fine. I don't want to judge anybody. Speaking of, of, of judgment, too, for you, uh, where do you stand right now when it comes to uh, mental health? I know we kind of talked about stoicism. I saw some of your your Facebook posts, but how did you get into that, and why are you such a proponent of it right now? I think uh, for me, I think the last couple years I've really been searching, like what, what my purpose is. Um, basketball has been a big part of my life forever. Uh, you know, I was 
14 years old when I started playing in Scotland, obviously not a country known for, for basketball. Um, and then I came across here at 24 to coach high school ball, coached for almost 10 years, then started my own training business, was really fortunate to be mentored under Morgan Wooten and his son, Joe Wooten. Um, just extremely, extremely um, fortunate and just so many great coaches along the way. So basketball was always what I wanted to do. And the, the focus of basketball has changed. And then once I got into the training game, you know, I loved it, but I was starting to just really struggle with balance in my life. And it really kind of came to a head where um, a friend of mine, a childhood friend, um, uh, committed suicide. Um, he took his own life. And he was a guy that actually the only Scottish player to ever play in the NBA. He was drafted, played at Illinois. Um, growing up, he, he lived the dream we all wanted. I mean, he lived in Scotland, sheep, haggis, kilts, you know, freezing cold with us. And then he's playing at Illinois for four years. I think he went to the final four, he gets drafted, he plays in the league for, I think, five or six years, goes overseas. I mean, this guy had the life, but then to know that, that he wasn't happy or something was wrong and he tragically took his own life, just really just, it just hit me so hard, especially being here in America, you know, away from my country, my family. It really just, it really hit me hard. And then I had two other close friends uh, who took their lives as well. And all happened in the same kind of, I guess, two-year space. Um, and it just it just really hit home for me that you've got to be happy. Like, you have to be happy in what you do. And I think that we spoke about this before we went live, that people, um, there's a, a kind of a lot of kind of like, how do I want to call it, hatred or competition, unhealthy competition between trainers. And that's from personal trainers, speed and agility trainers, the coaches, there's a lot of unhealthy competitiveness because we're we're competitive beasts by nature. That's why we're in the game, you know. But I think that unhealthiness, it, it really is unhealthy. And it, it's not good. It's not productive. And you all of a sudden, you find yourself in this, this battle in your head with somebody or online or in the same time. Um, and you're competing for kids and customers and gym space. And that's not why you got into this game. You got into this game because you love the game. You love teaching it. You love playing it. You love sharing it. You love seeing the rewards from it. So for me, I just kind of, I got a little lost. And I thought to myself, what is the purpose here? Like, what do I want out of all this? You know, I've built a good following. I'm grateful for it. I've met so many good people. So I started, I did, a, I did something one time. I forget what I read, but I wrote down my biggest accomplishments from basketball and my biggest disappointments. And my best thing from basketball, and this is just the, the honest truth, was when I was in Scotland, one of the first teams I coached, I coached a player on that team. I was only like five or six years older than him. And I mentored him and his family were going through a tough time. He was going through a divorce at that time, his, his parents. And basketball really kind of helped him through it. Like I think a lot of people, basketball has helped through tough situations. Well, fast forward, I mean, almost, sheesh, 20 years later, he asked me to be the best man at his wedding uh, in Scotland and asked, I mean, I was like, you're crazy. You know, he says, no, you made a big impact in my life and you were there. That is the number one thing I have gained from basketball in my entire life. And it's people. I can't tell you how many games we won or we lost back then when I was coaching him. Can't tell you how many average. I can't tell you any of that stuff. But I can tell you he's a friend for life. And I can tell you that I was the best man at his wedding. And I've never been prouder. You know, never, apart from my, my kids being born, I've never been prouder. And, uh, I can just go down the line of so many things. And I remember when Magic Johnson retired, they said, what do you want to miss most about the game? 
and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, I'm going to miss most being part of 12 guys, like being on the road with these guys, eating with them, getting to know them, being there. That's what I'm going to miss more. You know, like, here's a guy who's maybe the greatest point guard in NBA history, one of the greatest players, MVP, champion, you know, Olympic, everything. And he's telling you the biggest thing he's going to miss is the people that he works beside. And I'm like, this is a people business, it's a people game. There's more to life than just teaching someone a jump shot. So for me, it was a bit of soul searching. So I, I played around, I'm not a religious man at all. I, I believe in religion. Um, I, I, I love the fact what it does for people. Um, but I'm not a religious man myself. I wasn't raised that way. Um, so I started to kind of read up on Buddhism and it kind of attracted me, the, the calm, the peace, you know, in the storm. And I read up on it and I, I was enjoying it. I was really enjoying it and it was good, but it was very spiritual. And I struggled with that part because I'm not really a religious or spiritual person. So I read maybe two or three books on it. I visited a temple. I wasn't ready to shave my head yet. It's receding anyway, but I didn't do that yeah. just yet. Um, yeah, I've got the little Buddha belly though. So I just, uh, I was really enjoying it. But then as I kept reading, I was like, ah, there's something more. So one day I was online and I came up, one of the things I was listening to was a guy from, uh, from Holland, from the Netherlands. And he kept referring to Marcus Aurelius. And I'm like, Marcus Aurelius, isn't that a dude from Gladiator? You know, the movie Gladiator. So uh, I'm laughing, you know? <laughs> So I'm like, Mark, why does he keep saying Marcus Aurelius? And there's all these quotes. And I was like, that makes a lot of logic, a lot of sense. So I did a little research and he was talking about stoic philosophy. So I thought, well, someone that's stoic is someone that just doesn't care. Like someone who's, you know, level-headed, who's just, you know, um, it just isn't never up, never down. I said, well, like a Tim Duncan type guy, you know? And so guys that didn't have much personality would say, oh, he's stoic, you know? But then I realized that's not what stoicism is. That's not what it is at all. It's basically about accepting emotions and managing emotions. So it's about if something happens, you're number one, you prepare yourself for it. All the situations that could happen, you recognize and acknowledge that feeling or emotion. Then number two, you rectify what you can do better to change it so it doesn't happen again. And then number three, you see how that can benefit you. And there's a couple of sayings that really resonate with me. And I think I shared them with you. The one is, it's, uh, it's Amori Fati. Uh, hopefully I'm saying it right. It's a Latin term. And it means lover of fate. I've been a guy in life, in my life, where I've been quite emotional and reactive to terms. I've been through a divorce. I've been through many bad relationships. I've been the NCAA suspending some of my athletes because I worked out with them at the wrong time in their gym and posted a video. Um, I've had other trainers steal my clients. I've had people spread wrong things about me, some sort of, you know, things like that. I've had all these things happen. And I look back, I've been quite unbalanced and quite reactionary to them. And I don't want to be that way. But I don't want to be stoic in the sense that I don't care because I, I care very much. So what stoic philosophy was, was kind of telling me was that you can be in control of your balance, your emotions and your feelings and you can make them work for you. And one thing that I, I'm really into is therapy and mental health. And one of my best friends is, is, a, is a psychologist and we talk all the time about cognitive um, distortion and cognitive therapy, which is like basically reframing your thoughts of why you would think a certain way. And as I go on to read about Stoic philosophy, it turns out that the creator of cognitive behavioral therapy derived his teachings from Stoic philosophy. So I'm like, it's all making sense to me. So 
I am now about, I think I'm like six audiobooks in to Stoic philosophy in the last two months. I think I've read two paperbacks. I'm not a good reader. I'm better with audiobooks when I'm driving, I'm doing housework or something. I'm better, or taking my dog for a walk. I'm better with audiobooks than I am reading. And I just can't get enough of it. And it's not really a philosophy that you have to prove to anybody. It's more a philosophy you do for yourself. It's not reading a couple of books and then spit the verbiage at everybody and try and convert them. That's not it at all. It's basically being that amore fati and just you know being a lover of faith. Whatever happens is going to happen. And you have to find a way to, to work through it and make it work for you. I look, so I look back at some things like relationships or a gym space or something and being really pissed off. I didn't get it and being angry. But then I look back at it. I'm like, was it really that bad? Like, wasn't it a good thing that it didn't happen? So this could happen. Mm-hmm. Like these things happen. So it's all about reframing your thoughts. And I think that we go through life so stressed as, as trainers, you know, most of these trainers are, are parents uh, or, you know, brothers and sisters and family and, or work other jobs to make ends meet and have spouses who are very understanding of what they do. And that's a big ball of stress if you let it be. It really can be. And I was struggling myself with, with balance, with stress, with a little bit of anxiety as well, which I'd never really had in my life before. I was developing a lot of anxiety to stuff, like how am I going to do this? And oh my goodness, I'm losing my followers and I'm not getting as many kids coming to my workouts because there's new trainers here and my videos aren't getting as many views and I haven't done this and I haven't done that. And it's exhausting. And it took, I had to really reframe the way I was looking at things. And Stoic philosophy has really helped me just kind of balance things a little more and realize what's important, like what's important in my life. And one thing I've done is I'm not teaching as many kids as I was before. I'm really just taking... A, a select number of kids and really pouring into them because I get more out of that than seeing, you know, 50 kids a week. I'd rather see four or five. And I've noticed that too. I've noticed there's been a shift and you still post content with the number of athletes in the session. You see consistent athletes, you see the same households pretty often, which you always did, but I've noticed there was a shift yeah. in the number of trainees there. And for you, you said something about, obviously Amori Fati and, and the other one was Memento Mori too. Like, remember thou art mortal. I'm not sure, do you do you study that one as much? Have you tried to apply that one as much or is it more, mainly just I, I, I the reactivity yeah. towards certain situations? Yeah, it says Memento, Memento, Memento Mori and basically just saying that you could leave life at any moment. And I actually, uh, when I was telling my, my, my kids about it, because I actually have a pendant that I wear that says Memento, Memento Mori, because it means a lot to me. And my, my daughter says, Daddy, that's, you want to die? And I'm like, no, no, no. What it basically is, is it's reminding you to live in the moment. It's reminding you that we don't know what's next. We don't know. We don't know if there's another strain of the virus coming or if someone we love, you know, has a heart attack or someone loses their job or you tear your ACL and can't train as much. You don't know what's happening. But so what you got to do is you have to savor every moment we do have. It doesn't mean go crazy and go to Vegas and, you know, do whatever. But what it means is appreciate every moment you have. You know, like I was speaking to my good friend this morning. We, we, when I'm not listening to audiobooks, we talk in the car. If I'm on a good chapter, I ignore his call, though. Um, but this morning I did. <laughs> <laughs> and we were talking. And he was telling me about um, his son was a Division One player. And he actually ended up his playing career getting a master's as a transfer playing for Damon Studemar, who I, I loved as a player at Pacific University. And he was saying, you know, man, I was thinking about all the problems we had, and there really weren't problems. 
And I said, you know, there, there's never such a thing as a life with no problems. There's just, there's just not. If there is, you're not living right, life right, you know. But I said to him, I, I, something I read uh, recently, um, not in a story, but something else I'll get to in a second. But he said, if you took your problems and you put it in a big basket and everybody put their problems in there and everyone's problems were in one basket, you'd probably pick your own problem back up. You'd probably take your problem back. Because really, sometimes our problems aren't really as big as you think we are. One thing it says in Stoic philosophy is, is how you react to the problem. It's not what happened. It's your perception of it. So one thing I try to do is when people tell me things or I'm in a difficult situation, I'm a Scottish guy. I'm very fiery. I'll flick you off in traffic. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll get into an argument with you. All these things will happen. But recently I've seen a, a, a improvement in me not losing my temper as much. Uh, I'm a guy, I got nine technicals in the month of December when I was coaching once. I also, the worst, but remember I told you I was listing the pros and cons of my basketball career. Yes. You know my worst, my worst yes. one was? This is really embarrassing. Really embarrassing. I was thrown out of my fifth graders basketball game. I was the coach. I have never felt as low in my life. And this was right before the pandemic. This is where I knew I needed a break. This is where I knew I needed to separate myself from it. And you mentioned the postings. I went almost two months without posting a single thing. I just needed to step away from everything. I need to step away from it all. And to me, it was a good thing. It's a good thing that I did it. But that right there, I mean, I just, I almost cried that night. I was just like embarrassed for my son, myself. I mean, I, I preached to parents um, on being balanced, having good equanimity, you know, handling the, the, the calm of the storm, all these things. Um, and I think Stoic philosophy has helped me kind of deal with that sort of stuff to control anger. They talk about temperance is one of their four pillars, having good temperance over things. So what I do now is I actually have a, a, a mantra, which is from Buddhist, that I say to myself and I write down. And I say, when I'm in a difficult situation, I say to myself, it's kind of like counting to 10. I say, patience, be kind, and equanimity. So I say to myself, be patient with this person. They may not understand. Be patient with yourself. You could be feeling some sort of emotion. The second is be kind, which is big for me. And then the third one is equanimity, which means, you know, being calm in stressful situations. So I say that to myself during things, and it's really helped me, you know. I mean, I wasn't in anger management, but I mean, I, I was, you know, I was stressed. I was anxious. I was fiery at things that I shouldn't be. And um, I think that we, we can't be our best when we're filled with, with anger, you know. And I think that people ask me, how does that relate to players? There's a player I work with, and she is one. Of, she's probably the best shooter I've ever worked with. Uh, she's absolute lights out. It's the girl you see me work with outside, and she's very hard on herself. And one thing we always talk about is, I always say to her, I look at her, I say, "You are not perfect." And I know I piss her off by saying that, but I keep saying to her, "You are not perfect." We shot. She went 30 from 32, from the three. And the first thing I said to her after was, you are not perfect. And then she would shoot some days where she misses like her first eight shots, not many. And I'll tell her, you aren't, stop trying to be perfect. You're not perfect. Stop it. Like stop trying to have the perfect workout because you know this, the mistakes you make mold you who you are. When you're working out, if you're having a bad time, like you're missing shots, you're not, you're turning the ball over. That's part of your training too. If you can deal with that in a workout session, you can deal with it in a game. But if you can't deal with missing shots in a workout, 
you can't do it in a game, you know? And one day I remember I gave this example, showed a water bottle and I, I got a piece of paper and I put it under the water bottle, it was a see-through water bottle. And I wrote something down on the paper and I got her water bottle and I shook her water bottle. So the water was going back and forth, back and forth. I said, look into the water bottle. What if I, what if I wrote down the paper? She said, I can't see it. I can't see. I said, okay, let's wait till it's still. And the water settled. I said, what does it say? And she read what I had wrote. And I said, when you're missing shots, you're getting angry with yourself. You're talking to yourself negatively. You're thinking ahead, behind. You're like that water, you're unsettled. You can't see clear. But when you're calm and you find a way to be still, you can see what's going on. So we talk about all the time stillness, like being still. And that's where the whole stoicism comes into as well. So we're working on it. We're not perfect at it, but we, we're working on it to, to be that way. That makes sense. It does make sense. And those are those lessons on top of ancillary to the actual skills that I think are what parents would deem invaluable. You know, and it's just that extra layer of value that I'm more interested in too. And I'm noticing, and you're probably noticing the better that you get at understanding these things and mastering yourself, the more like the better you are teaching it to the athletes yeah. too. And that mental game is going to only help their physical game too. And I'm just curious to know what that process is like for you as you learn. Because for me, I think you commented on my, on my post a while back about competition. And like you said, I mean, you, you've played, you've coached in some of the most competitive basketball in the Southeast, in the nation in general. So you know what competitiveness looks like. You know what scouting reports look like. You know what rivalries look like. And competing in this game, we compete against other people. You know you've won by beating someone else, Yeah. right? How do you reframe that? What was that process like for you to reframe that without losing the intensity that once really drove you and yeah. gave you that motivation uh, and that push that you wanted and needed? That's a great question. And I'm glad you brought that up. It's actually something I mean to tell you. Um, a while ago, I think it was after you and I spoke, you put out a list once or something like a post, and it was like something about the, the best, the top five best trainers there were or the most insightful guys to learn from. And I remember this and I can say this to you now, when I read that post, I was angry. And I said, why am I not on there? And I got pissed off and I was pissed off at you. And I probably made some sort of sarcastic comment about it. And it, it kind of ate me up inside. And I used to take things like that and it would really motivate me to be ahead of the game. But the, but the reality is that list doesn't count how much I impact the player. I've always said this. It's not about what the coach can show you or what they've done in their playing careers. And I'm not saying that because I wasn't a player. It's what they can allow, what they can show the player how to do and how to be. You know what I'm saying? Like you can be the I can be the best skills, most athletic guy in the world, but if my players can't perform through my teachings, I haven't done my job. My job isn't for me to look good. It's for them to, to be good and feel good. So I kind of had my I had things mixed up. I was competitive in a sense of being on that list. It's like, a, like when you tell the players, rankings don't mean anything. Then why a coach? Am I getting stressed out? But someone that I know and like and care for and know you are a good person. Like, why am I getting upset right. at that? And that's the unhealthy competition. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes that can motivate you to be better and to try and get to the top. And by doing that, you make yourself better and help your clients. Don't get me wrong competition if it's healthy is very good but I think for me uh, my basketball business was born from me divorcing from my wife 
she told, I was working as a security guard two years before I was a security guard. I was making $11 an hour. And she told me when we broke up, she said, you'll never be nothing more than a security guard. And this is not trying to be like the, the movie famous or whatever, but it, it, it's like for her, her and I are on great terms today. And I'm thankful for that. I'm super thankful for that. I'm actually the director of security for the university that I used to work at there. Um, but for me, that basketball business was born so I could make more money and get a place. I used to live in a basement apartment and my kids used to eat CC's pizza every weekend with me because that's all I could afford. Uh, Daddy, why do I always eat this pizza? Oh, I love it. It's my favorite. If you've tasted CC's pizza, it kind of sucks. There's five bucks. So that's why we did it. Yeah. So for me, it was it was for me to, to, to make that money to get that extra income for me. Then once it did that, it was like, well, hang on, I'm better than this guy. I can do better videos than this guy. He should be getting that. And I started to grow and grow because I, I was just doing so much. But somewhere along the line, it stopped being about trying to trying to prove my ex-wife wrong. So I think that it becomes unhealthy if you're only motiv motivated by revenge or, you know, being, like we look at every movie, it's like Michael Jordan got cut from his varsity team. So it was his, it was his goal to keep going. When he's with the Chicago Bulls, you think he's really still thinking about his coach in high school? Probably not. You know, I think things are born from being, from resentment, but it becomes unhealthy after a while. One thing I would love to study more is look at all the NBA players or guys who play basketball in college. And then once they're done, they've nowhere to go. They don't know what to do. I know guys that were like ranked in high school, played division one basketball, and then some of these guys, some of them, not all of them, of course, a select few, they can't like provide for their children. They can't keep a job. They can't keep out of, you know, out of trouble. They can't stay in a relationship. That's failing. Like you, that is being used by the system. That's being used even more than the financial piece. If you've done all this with great coaches and great leaders, but you can't be a member of society, then you've failed. And that for me is huge. That's the biggest part for me. So when I when I speak to a player these days, for me, I, I speak to a lot of my players about their life. Like what I love other guys, guys and girls that have other interests. One of the guys that I work with, he played at Georgetown. He does, uh, he's got a, 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 what's it called? Not a droid, a, a, a drone. He has a drone and he rides a skateboard and he's, he dyes his hair blonde and stuff like that. And I, I love him. I love reading and hearing about his other interests because that shapes you as a person. Like one of the, I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent here. Ah, this is what we're doing this for. <laughs> so here's one, here's my, here's one of the most dangerous sayings in youth sports. The most, the most dangerous saying in youth sports, no days off is the most dangerous saying. I get the mentality. It looks cool in a Nike sweater. It looks cool in Kobe's town as you got to work harder than everybody else. I get it. That They all make sense to me. But the reality is, if you have no days off, if ball truly is just life, I don't think you're going to go very far in life. I think you're going to struggle. You know, I think you're going to struggle with stuff. I think it's you, you've got to be well-balanced, well-rounded. And look at Kobe Bryant, who, who I admire. Look at Kobe Bryant. At the end of his life, he was just a great family person, like putting his daughters and his wife ahead of everything. He won, a, what did he, what did he win, an Oscar or an Emmy or something for his performance, like giving back and then mentoring these other NBA players. Like, Bo wasn't life for him all the time. It was. That was one aspect of his life, but it's not totally. We look at Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was slated because he wouldn't speak on social 
um, injustices, and the people needed him. People needed Jordan to say something. He's only now giving back, only now saying something. He wasn't ready. He wasn't ready for that. But now he is, and I'm so glad he's done it. So I think for people, I think that you've got to have that balance of, of different things in life. And I think if you don't, you're kind of failing. Right. Now, I got to go back to the uh, top five list. One, I'm glad you told me that. Thank you for that. <laughs> Two, did I say the names? Because here's the thing. I, first of all, I love the vulnerability. I love that the fact that you actually, not that you got offended, that you actually cared enough to, to admit admit that. Yeah. But two is like the top five list. You know, you know how posts are sometimes to kind of get some virality to it, to get some polarity to it. But with this, you're right. Like with the rankings, we tell the athletes it doesn't matter. But with the training, it's like how do you justify who's number one? Is it the social media following? You don't know following. You don't know what their their numbers are. They could be in the red the entire time. They could be losing money every single month on their gym that they got a loan yeah. on that they don't right. have enough athletes to break even for it. It's it's real. We don't see that stuff because the scoreboard is not present with this basketball training business, but um, I'm glad you said that though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, and again, I would have admitted, I would not have admitted that to you at the time, but now seeing things from a more balanced perspective, I was like, God, that was, that was really stupid of me, you know, to be that way, to, to feel that way, but it was an emotion and you've got to acknowledge the, more, the emotion. But the reality is if that emotion is not helping me in any way, if it doesn't motivate, if it only pisses me off in a negative way, what's the point, you know? And obviously, and you're someone whose whose opinion I value. You know, you've you've taken a lot of time to to grow your business and invest in people and coaches and trainers and get to know them on a personal level. Uh, so you do know who's doing what out there. But uh, but again, I, I do remember that time being very, very vulnerable and, and think to myself, I'm, I'm I'm pissed off. You know, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm not on that list. Um, but I think you can spend a lot. You can waste a lot of energy looking at lists and and wondering why this person has more following than you and why this person is doing this. And it's not easy, but it is completely a waste of time. It is completely a waste of time. It does not add value to your life in any way. And that's one thing I've been looking at: is if something doesn't add value to my life, then is it really necessary? Like one of the things that Marcus Aurelius always said to himself was, "Is this necessary?" You know, and that's one thing I, I kind of looked at as well. Like, not really necessary to me. Like, I don't have a fancy camera crew in the gym. Like, I don't have, you know, the latest gear on. It's just not. It is not important to me. You know, and that's okay. So, I'm with the guys who have been in competition in my head. With. What's that? Mm. Oh, go ahead. I'm listening. I've uh, been in competition with some of the trainers in my head before, you know, not, not embarrassed to say, and I'll look at their follow-up and say, man, my video was better than theirs, or I'm teaching it better than them, or they're just doing that to get likes. And then the reality is, what does it matter? They're doing what they like. They're getting what they want out of it. You know, why am I wasting my time doing this? Um, you know, is, is it a distraction or is it inspiration? And I think that's what... Not to get on my old man's chair, but like with social media, you know, like it can be very negative if you allow it. And the training business, I think uh, there's a guy's book you should check out. His name is um, James Smith. Um, he's an English English fella, and uh, he moved to New Zealand, and he's one of the top trainers in the world in terms of um, uh, physical fitness trainers. Uh, James Smith, he's hilarious. He speaks right off the cuff. He doesn't give a shit what he says. Uh, he's hilarious. And his new book is called Not Your Life Coach. Um, it's hilarious, but it's really good. And he was talking this morning about that a lot of trainers make the mistake when they're speaking on their, on their platforms, they're actually speaking to other trainers where that really shouldn't be their, their platform. 
I know yours is with, you know, Hoop Institute, but like if you try to attract clients and, you know, players and parents, that's what you should be talking to. You shouldn't be talking to other trainers. And what I mean is you can talk to them, but, but your tone, the way you're talking to them, your audience, you should be looking at your audience as the people you want to coach, the people you want to train and get better, not other trainers. I think sometimes we, we make posts with other trainers in mind. If that makes sense. Oh, agreed. And, and it, it, it makes plenty of sense. And before I understood that and how like, it makes so much sense, like before I'm like, this person's stuff is so basic. It's, it's generic. It's rudimentary. Like, I know that. But then I thought about it. Oh, that's the point. They're not talking to me. Like, they're doing it the right way. These kids do need to know how to go underneath the screen and, and when the defender goes underneath and shoot the basketball. They need those basic things, not the fancy stuff that maybe some other trainers like, oh, I love that. Let me cop that drill. It's important to know who your audience is and actually legitimately speak to them. So I agree with that, too. And I'm curious to know for you with – uh, wrapping up in, in, in 10 minutes here. Curious to know for you, what? I know you read uh, Obstacles Away and How to Think Like a Roman Emperor. That The second book, it seems like, I think you're you're finishing that one up right now, correct? Or have you already oh, finished, finished that it now. I finished it now. How, that one is rich. It's, it's regimented. It has a lot of practical advice on how to set routines and go about your day. What What is another one of those practical things that have helped you out a lot? Was it the patient, kind, and equanimity? equanimity? I, I think, how do you say that word? Equanimity. Uh, equanimity. equanimity. I actually learned the word equanimity. When, I was studying, when I was looking at the Buddhism, that's where I first saw the word. I said, oh, what does that mean? And I looked it up, and it basically just means being calm mentally through difficult, uh, stressful situations, like having that calmness. When I was younger, I used to watch Kevin Garnett and Larry Grandmama Johnson. And for me, those were, those were passionate guys. Those were guys that really cared because they would dunk it and beat their chest and yell. And I was like, man, they are passionate. They are fiery. They're this. When Tim Duncan came along, I was like, boring. You know, like you know, <laughs> hoop shots, footwork, this and that. We're talking about a guy that you know has five championships and is probably one of the best power forwards of all time, if not the best. And if you watch, there's never high, there's never low. He's just always the same. And Kobe had a lot of that in, in his later years too. Like you see him when Chris Rock's talking to him on the sideline, laughing jokes. Chris Rock at the time, one of the funniest guys on the planet, still hilarious. And Kobe's just like looking forward like he's not even there. You know, like that right there is being not just locked in, but you're not letting anything affect you, whether it's humor, whether it's stress, whatever it is, you're just locked in on what you're doing. And that's that equanimity for me. You're calm when everything around you is going crazy. And one guy I see it right now is Steph Curry. Like Steph Curry, I know they obviously lost to the Memphis Grizzlies, but he never he's never too up, he's never too down. Yeah, I mean, sure, show emotion for sure. But I mean He's just, I remember I watched the game and who was it? Someone scored a great basket. Oh, LeBron, uh, when they were played, when they played for the, the seventh and eighth seat. Um, and LeBron made a move and he was like, like, and afterwards he said, we know that's going to happen. Like, why should we react to it? We know that's going to happen. So we have to prepare for it and then see how we can benefit from it. And for me, that's, that's equanimity. So it's something I look for in people and it's something I aspire to be. So equanimity is huge for me, being patient, being kind, you know, being equanimous, I think is the word, um, in times like that. So that's, that's, that's big for me. And that book, the, uh, think like a Roman empire, um, is, is written by a Scottish, Scottish guy. 
um, called Don Robertson. So I actually found him on Instagram and I messaged him, you know, because obviously, you know, two Scottish guys, very small country. And uh, he was nice enough to write back to me and we're actually going to talk next week uh, on the phone. Man, that's amazing. Hopefully, yeah. you can, well, of course, I'm being selfish, like, man, make a podcast. <laughs> yeah. on Facebook or Instagram. But that's that's awesome that he actually reached back out, man. I, yeah, it's it, for you, it's interesting. This, I haven't listened to all of his book yet, but I mean, isn't he the one that came up with cognitive uh, therapy, the cognitive behavioral distance? Or yes, I think he was a psychologist, and that's where. Yeah, so if anyone's ever heard of it, the cognitive, like cognitive distort. Like, okay, cognitive distortion, and hopefully I'm saying this right, is something. Is kind of like um, uh, cognitive distortion. It's seeing things like, oh, I can never do that, like, or I'm. I'm too fat to do that, you know, and instead of, and, and you, they want you to reframe the way you're saying that and say, okay, I'm too heavy for that right now, but if I do this, I can change that. So it's reframing your thoughts, you know, like kids will say to me, like, I've lost my confidence. No, you haven't. You haven't lost your confidence at all because confidence is just another word for trust. It's trusting in yourself. You never lost it anywhere. Like you trust yourself to brush your teeth every morning because you do it. You know how to do it every day. You're just struggling with something that's a little new to you or difficult. You just got to be able to trust yourself by putting the work in. So don't say you've lost your confidence. Say, I don't feel like I trust myself with this right now, but I can do something about it. So because it doesn't waste any time. Other thing I've done is um, de catastrophizing things. And I learned this from that book, uh, The Roman Empire. Like, have you ever said to yourself, oh man, my knee is killing me. Or man, this this gym schedule is is messing me up. No, no it's not. That's your, uh, you're catastrophizing it. Like it's, your knee's not killing you. Like you can still, you can still walk. Like it's just, it just hurts. So I reframe them and say, my knee is really sore right now. I need to ice it or I want to be struggling to train tomorrow. And then I'll say to myself, and this gym schedule is really difficult right now, but I know if I sit down and go through it, I can work something out that's beneficial for me. Because why stay in that negative mind space? And it's like I say to players all the time, uh, I say to players, especially when they're shooting, like stop talking to yourself so negatively because you, I'm sure you've seen this quote before, your mind doesn't know what's a joke and what's not. If you're constantly saying, man, I suck, I can't do this, or I'm too slow, you'll start to believe that if you keep saying it. You know, it's like what you eat and what you listen to. Like you, so I say to yourself, if you wouldn't say that to someone you love, like a mom or a cousin or a sister or a boyfriend, girlfriend, don't say it to yourself because you're supposed to love yourself. So don't say these negative things to yourself if you wouldn't say it to someone you love. And most young kids, I'll say to them, all right, what did you say about yourself? And they'll say, oh, I sucked and I can't make a show and I'm this and this and that. I say, would you say that to your mother? And they're like, no, no, no way. I'm like, why not? They're like, well, she'd be hurt. She'd be offended. And I asked one kid once, it was the best. And I said, think of someone you love. And they're like, okay. And I said, would you say that to who you love? And they're like, no way. I said, why? And he said, well, I was talking to my little brother. He's only two. And I said, why wouldn't you say it to him? And he said, because he might believe it. And I said, boom, exactly. Because you mm. might start believing what you're saying. So you can't do that. So you've, you've got to find a way to, we're all going to think these things. If I miss five shots in a row, that's normal for me, by the way. But if I miss five shots in a row, I might start saying to myself, I can't hit nothing. I suck. That's a natural thing to say. It's a defense mechanism. But what good does that do apart from plant the idea that I suck? I've got to find a way around that and say, okay, I need to follow through. My, I need to go back to my process. Like, what's my follow-through routine? How, how am I catching the ball? I can make shots. 
I've missed, but I'm going to make shucks. So you're constantly reframing these negative thoughts that you have. Thoughts is interesting how you're coming to this. Uh, it seems like you're coming to this enlightenment through the Stoic study. So I know you didn't kind of, the Buddhism didn't really fit you fully, but it seems like you're getting to that enlightenment through the study of Stoic, Stoic philosophy. Yeah, I think is that it, it just, correct statement. Yeah, it makes so for an emotional person. I think logic defeats emotion or can overcome emotion. And I think it's been good for me to start seeing more logic, which in turn has made me more like we say momentum more, like just appreciating things more. Like one thing I've done with my players, coaching less players, but I'm really getting involved in their lives. Like what's going on with them? Like what do they what do they like? What do they care about? What do they what do they think's holding them back? What do they think they need more of? And it's fascinating. I'm not a counselor, I'm not a therapist, but it's fascinating me to, to know these things. And I'm hoping that I can forge relationships with these people for life. Any parting words or last pieces of advice for basketball trainers out there, whether it's on the court, off the court, kind of like what you just said and really resonates with me, but any anything that comes to mind to advise think, trainers on? You know, I, I think it just, you, you've got to be who you are. And I think that, you know, you do a great job with, with helping other trainers. And I think that you almost lower the guard for those that want to learn because everyone should be in a constant state of learning. And even at one time, you know, I had a huge following and, you know, everything's going well and I'm making good money and, you know, people were sending me free stuff and you kind of feel like, shit, I'm the man, you know, but you're not, you're, you, everyone, you, you've got to keep learning. You've got to keep growing because there's always something that someone you're learning. So don't be afraid to lean on other people. Like, I like it when trainers message me and say, hey, got any advice? What I do switch off is when people say to me, hey, man, how did you get a big following? I have no interest in talking to you because you've just shown me that prioritizes training. If someone said to me, how did you know to do this with the ball screen? Or, hey, coach, why are you using that way? That doesn't work for me. I'm all in. I'm interested in talking. But if all you want to talk about is a following, I'm not interested. That makes sense. So I would say your trainers and coaches out there, just keep being you are, keep growing, keep learning. Don't be afraid to do what you're doing and like just, you know, merging people together because ultimately it benefits the students. It benefits the kids. Coach, man, I appreciate you taking time. It's always a great conversation with you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for doing it. I'm delighted to be on and whatever list you post, I promise I won't send you any hate mail. <laughs> Hey, don't let the Scottish come out and let me off or anything, man. <laughs> I love it, Coach. You're, you're a marked man. You're a marked man in Scotland. You're a marked man. <laughs> Yo, hope that podcast gave you some value. If it did, please rate, review, and subscribe to this. It only makes the podcast better. I read every single one. And at the very least, go join our group. You'll see the link in the description of this episode. And I will catch you on the next one.